Greetings and salutations, all you beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Art of the Beholder, a show dedicated to all things eclectic in the world of art, where we do deep dives into deep cuts and help you understand why damn things matter. I'm your host, Novo Day, and today we're going to be talking about art and film, focusing on the art house piece, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. To hash it out, I am joined by guest Philip Church of philipchurch.tech. Welcome, Philip. Welcome. Welcome to me. This was one of Philip's recommendations. So I, I know yes. he is busting at the seams. I've been talk excited. About this. Yeah. I've been itching, <laughs> itching for this episode for God, I don't even know how long. I don't even know uh, how long now. So let's tell the good people why, why we're talking about this today. And uh, the reason is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind helped to evolve the genre of art house film surrealism. So it's not just surreal. It also includes aspects of psychology, existentialism, the human condition, especially, obviously, in regards to relationships, love and loss, those kind of dichotomies. And uh, what's great about this film is it even has aspects of uh, genres such as the thriller and even touches of horror. So it essentially wasn't just surreal for surrealism's sake. It was all a part of the story. Dreams can be terrifying. It's a very dreamy movie. And let me tell you, definitely like there's a reason like nightmares is his own category of dreams, because there are parts of this that absolutely feel like borderline nightmare category <laughs> territory. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Well, well put. Now, before we can discuss, of course, we need a little background. So uh, Esad Essam, that's what I like to say, Eternal, <laughs> Eternal Sunshine, e Esad Essam was written by Charlie Kaufman, directed by Michelle Gondry and released on March 19th. 2004. It stars Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet, Kirsten Dunst, Mark Ruffalo, Elijah Wood, and Tom Wilkinson. It was a box office success and won and won a number of accolades. As it and, should. Yes, including the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay by Mr. Charlie Kaufman. And um, Kate Winslet won an Academy Award for Best Actress. As uh, and I can't ooh, I cannot wait to talk about her character specifically uh clementine uh before we hash it out of course we need a word from our sponsor this episode is brought to you by liquid iv guys if you don't know what liquid iv is we'll buckle up because i'm going to throw you a game changer liquid iv is a hydration multiplier that not only tastes great but is a non-gmo electric light drink mix Powered by cellular transport technology to deliver hydration to the body faster and more efficiently than water can just do alone. One stick contains three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks with five essential vitamins. Now, I pride myself on telling you about things that I either already like or just use in my everyday life. And I have to say, I've actually been a fan of Liquid IV for a long, long time now. I use it for everything from, you know, just long runs to stay in shape, all those late nights with those after hours or just when I'm feeling a little dehydrated. I turn to it so it could just, my God, set me straight, make me feel like a million bucks again, and just get me ready for the day. So please head on over to their website. That's liquid-iv.com to check out their amazing line of products. And get this, when you use promo code Art of the Beholder, all one word, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, if you need a little direction on where to start, I recommend Lemon Lime. Guys, you're going to love it won't be disappointed so please give it a shot and get more fuel for life's adventures now back to the show now before we get to clementine as much as i do want to touch on something that i uh, i thought of before i even looked it up and we'll get there in a minute i want to do first impressions so 
you're 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 a, you're a young lad again, Philip. What was when you saw Eternal Sunshine for the very first time? What did you think? Oh, I I thought it was incredibly impactful. Um, it it resonated deeply. I remember thinking like, wow, like sometimes the smallest little things kind of end up being like the bigger moments or the bigger you know just pieces of like who you are or a the big piece of you know relationship to, between two people. And uh, I loved that it did such a wonderful job of of spotlighting actual everything like as much as of course as possible in such an art house movie within whatever time uh of just all the things that really do make up a relationship and and what you know maybe keeps you coming back to things um i mean i really think it's 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 incredibly reflective and i feel like it probably had that impact on a lot of people of just feeling like they had some self-reflection to do. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, how many times have we all done this, right? Like, I wish I could just erase her from my fucking mind or him, depending yeah. on what side of the tracks you're on um, or wherever you stand. Um, so that, you know, that's that was the beauty of the story is like we we've all this is why that is uh, how it, that is literally how the script evolved. Yeah. Like the, you the know, director, uh, Michelle Gondry and one of one of the writers of of the original story. Um, it literally spun out of the writer having a friend who was just, she was so pissed at a boyfriend. And he said, <laughs> would you erase them if you could? And she said, yes. And so he like came up, the oh, first yeah, thing. I remember reading this. Yeah, the okay. first thing was that they came up with the idea to, um, as an experiment to be like, oh, what if we mailed cards to people to be like, you've like so-and-so had so-and-so so erased has in their memory. Erased. Yes, I remember And then from now. there, they just thought about like what all the fallout would be. And then before they knew it, they had the story. And of course, eventually it actually they involved Charlie Kaufman, et cetera. But yeah, I like that's literally I, it really uh, evolved. Yeah, if, I could it, just, if this person just didn't exist to me, I'd be so happy. There's the premise. <laughs> they, yeah, they the um, after they planted the seed, it really took it, the roots really dug deep. Right. It's pretty and universal. It grew I feel and grew like and grew. almost every maybe not almost every, but I feel like a lot of people probably have that person. So, yeah, they, yeah, they the story obviously tries to explore that concept that concept and uh, equally so when love the concept of love is so powerful it can bring those same two people together i thought was a fascinating touch um how complicated love is right so love is like i we, love is one of those emotions that uh i never i remember being in love for the very first time and remembering distinctly that feeling of i especially when we're on the verge of breaking up like i love this person but i equally almost kind of hate them but at the same time and it's it's weird that love can make you feel these two almost polarizing other emotions at the same time within this this uh, very powerful singular emotion oh, yeah. love is the most insane emotion yeah and uh so yeah i i felt a, a lot of the same way and you know and and i i remember also just um the the visuals the the how how different it was for yeah. its time again all those and dreamy sequences just exactly being so wonderfully and like constantly reminding you like no this is Joel reliving his recent memories or some some not even as recent but just the way in which those my again like I said like those minutiae of details in the background of how like oh you might remember which section of the store you were standing in when you talked about a certain thing. And um, and things like that kind of like matter. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think on paper, you know, the the basic story is really quite simple when you think about it. Yeah. But how the narrative is delivered to the audience is 
groundbreaking, outstanding, incredible, just and very obviously surreal and fantastical to its its best in the best way possible. And uh, I think that's a perfect segue to talk about the heart and soul of this piece, which is uh, specifically screenplay writing. It's not just writing. It's not it's not just, you know, writing uh, can take a lot of different lanes and and be a lot of different vessels because I've, I'll never forget Stephen King saying, you know, writing a novel is a completely different beast than writing a screenplay. Like when I, he, when he said he tried to do that and adapt, adapt his own work, he had he had such a challenging hard time. That's usually why he likes to pass it to people that really have yeah, a knack for, for screenplay adaptations. So the screenplay writing um, and plot, obviously, and then we'll we'll easily uh, fall into narrative and characters within within this first segment. Is uh, we got to talk about Charlie Kaufman. So Charlie Kaufman, guys are probably familiar with him by now since we just did a piece. I've on never him. heard of him. <laughs> if only I could but, learn about all of his movies in one but, sitting. But Joel again, uh, or yeah, Joel again is a surrogate or, or, you know, Charlie Kaufman is a surrogate for Joel or Joel's a surrogate for Kaufman either or. Um, so Joel is another, um, is another character where Charlie Kaufman, the writer is putting himself into the protagonist and, um, he's a, he's a sad guy. He's a, he's a very introverted, right? um, awkward, that awkward, um, guy in the corner at parties. I still just love how well even Jim Carrey of all people was able to nail. Uh, it's very believable actually. I I still think that he did such an excellent job considering uh, just how he is just literally a human fucking car. The show. Yeah. The showrunners Gondry put it, put it quite eloquently that it's, it's, um, it's really hard to be funny. But it's a lot easier to find someone like that and pull them, pull them down, you know, anchor them into a role like this. Uh, and I, I get what he what he's saying. And it's such, you know, like I think a lot of people were surprised by the casting, too, because uh, just like in the vein of our Charlie Kaufman show, uh, when I was talking about um, Cameron Diaz, Cameron Diaz being like, right. I'm a fucking thespian, like, take me seriously. I feel like, you know. Jim Carrey kind of went through that phase like he was doing. Oh, yeah. He Truman did this. Show, the Truman Show. Right. Yeah. Like, I'm not just a comedian. I'm fucking a serious he's actor. Like, I, I fully act. You guys just want me to jump on screen and, and you know, f- do a pratfall. Because, yeah. So so full disclosure, guys, when I was a kid, I was absolutely obsessed with Jim Carrey. I still I am. Say, yeah. I would see all of his stuff. I would see all of his movies. I dressed up as Ace Ventura for Halloween. Yes, of course you did. I love it. Uh, <laughs> and um, and I will say this, you know, as much as I, I feel like this role did tell the world like, hey, he can really, uh, you know, take acting very seriously and be a serious thespian and not just this uh, comedic, you know, cartoon of a man, uh, he um, he did it really well, and I, I think he had a hard time, you know, because like Truman Show and some other stuff, it just never really landed, you know. And part of that is he needed a role like this to show that, you know, to really, I guess, uh, dig deep into his dramatic chops and and have because it is it is fantastical and surreal and things like that. So there is there is times when he's allowed to be a little goofy but I, I i also learned that he was the only one that wasn't allowed to do any improv in the movie that makes perfect because sense yeah he's because like, they wanted you... joel to be more anchored and yeah. everyone else was allowed to yeah i mean the, the actual basis of his character uh would yeah was straight up would have been like very very much like a timid like letting letting jim carrey bleed into the character would be like very anti-joel so uh given given how of course like as the straight up protagonist um that he is he's he's absolutely crucial to to the movie having 
uh, the, the sort of message and impact that it does that, yeah, I mean, you couldn't have let Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey up the Joel character or else it, it <laughs> would not have been Joel anymore. That's right. Yeah. Um, and that um, leads us to his love interest, Clementine, played by Kate Winslet. And she is I remember um, okay. I remember rewatching this. And the first thing that popped in my head, it was, oh, fuck, this is this is a manic pixie dream girl yep you know uh so guys if you don't know what uh the manic pixie dream girl is it is an unfortunate character trope that has developed over the years but in doing my research for the show what is so fucking uh great and says so much about charlie kaufman uh and how he's always been ahead of his time is uh this actually wasn't coined and really seen as a trope until a year or two later with um, coincidentally Kirsten Dunst's character in Elizabethtown. So, guys, if you don't know what a man- manic pixie dream girl is, we've seen her before. You know what she you is. You don't it's, know that you know what it is, but once you Google it, you're like, oh, that. Yeah. I am going to give, well, for the people that don't give a shit and don't care to google it i'm going to give you a very brief definition and this is not, this is not me this is from i gotta i gotta do a little a bibliography here this is from studiobinder.com so the manic pixie dream girl is a type of female character often depicted as a whimsical quirky, sometimes eccentric fantasy woman who saves the male protagonist from himself. She usually aids in his transformation without ever showing any real agency of her own. She is a vivacious character whose main purpose is to teach the male protagonist that life is worth embracing. Now, this was first coined by Nathan Rabin uh, for, yeah, Kirsten Dunst's character in Elizabethtown, which is crazy since Kirsten Dunst is also in this. And 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 so, yeah, it's it's essentially... If you break it, I know that was a, a a lot of a lot of big words. If you break it down, it's um it's another female character that is trying to make a woman like an object, right? It's only she's only there. She's there to advance the, the purpose, male the male protagonist, right? She's not she's not a real three dimensional person. Yeah, I like how the script even straight up acknowledges that Joel says, "I thought exactly. you were going to save my life," and that yeah, that is that is why she um, why Clementine is considered a uh, antithesis or a counter example of this because there is that one line of dialogue uh, when they're in the I think they're in the the bookstore, the video store, or something yeah, the like Barnes that. Barnes and Noble that she works at. And she says, like, you know, don't put your don't put, put your, your world on, on me. me. Yeah. yeah. Like everyone thinks I'm going to fix them or blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, cool. She's aware of it. Exactly. So th- without God, talk about amazing, very thoughtful writing is they used one line of dialogue to completely refute uh, the criticism that it would would eventually got it. So if that line of dialogue wasn't in the film, she would have just been a manic pixie dream girl. Yeah. And she does it so well. Now, here's the thing, guys. Um, that they are fun. I get why a lot of male, usually male writers and directors, write these kind of characters. They are they're they're fun. You know, who wouldn't like to date a Clementine? Uh, we all may have. <laughs> yeah, depending <laughs> on if you have, you might not want to anymore. But the idea of it sounds great. Right. You know, like just this uh, just this larger than life, very colorful character. And um, and yeah, we uh we you know, we can. I can see why writers and directors are drawn to characters like that. But, but it is a trope. It is something that I'm glad that was yeah. kind of called out and is now being seen as 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 silly. I, I made some other examples here. Um, so I already talked about Elizabethtown, uh, Sam Feehan. That's Natalie, played by Natalie Portman in Garden State, and Allison, um, 
played by Zoe Deschanel and Yes Man. So those are other examples if you want to see. Yeah, if you want to see examples of just the uh, the manic pixie dream girl that is used more in the bad way, uh, those are the the films to see. But this one is obviously just to to bring it on home in this on this segment. Um, this is used in the right way. I think there's another subtle aspect of that when um, even Clementine is uh, freaking out at Elijah Wood's character, Patrick, baby boy. That, <laughs> I don't know why, but that always sticks with me the way that, like that uh, you've Tom seen Wilkins, this a million times. A million Still and a loved. half. Novo, I love this film. Um, but yeah, so I like how um, when he's like deceptively trying to woo her using Joel's things that yeah. um, even she's just, she literally just has that scene where she's just like, just get the fuck away from me. And same thing, this guy is kind of weird and broken. Like, I like that Elijah Wood's character is pretty much like openly kind of pervy and creepy and they don't hide it. Um, that he is kind of your typical just like sort of stalker. He steal panties. He so. steals panties. He's, he's kind of a stalker. Like he's very yeah. disingenuous. Um, <laughs> and that and then she's just literally not having it. Like he'll say something that is very much not him. And like yeah. when they're at the river, she's just like, I have to go. They just leave. And then like later he's trying to like follow her home and she's just like, get the fuck away from me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we're that. seeing uh yeah we're seeing like there's uh, another subtle way that she refutes that just like yeah like i'm not here to fix you i'm dealing with some shit like get away from me yeah they're they're very thoughtful characters joel and clementine and and that's obviously the the main um anchor for the for the film's plot realistic in that they're both very 3d but as well as deeply flawed each of them yeah and that that is 3d and you know yeah. in a nutshell as well you know oh, you have to be very yeah there has to be the yin and the yang, essentially. And but that that's uh those are the two main characters that we follow through the the journey of the story to see how these two characters try to erase each other from the other's memories and seeing how they reconnect uh in various ways. And I I do want to touch on some of the supporting characters because oh, yeah. that was probably my favorite um mid uh, mid film, mid story kind of twist is seeing like the mary sub, the subplot stuff yeah yeah seeing mary and dr howard um yeah. so mary is played by kirsten dunst let's just go through them real quick mary's played by kirsten dunst stan is played by mark ruffalo i literally forgot that he was in this till i rewatched it patrick like uh philip already said is played by elijah wood and dr howard Myers Wiak is played by Tom Wilkinson. So Love yeah, Tom Wilkinson. This was the first thing that I remember seeing Mark Ruffalo in too. I it's so God, subtle I and discreet. Yeah, right. he like wasn't really he somebody was still good. He was know, no, he was, he was still, great in yeah. it, but he just wasn't Mark Ruffalo just yet. He hadn't really made much of a name for himself. Like <laughs> I mean, this was true. twenty something, almost twenty years ago, right? I mean, this came out in two thousand what three or four? So um, oh, four, yeah, or, yeah, that's right, two thousand four. So I mean, yeah, like it's a it's a fairly like not exactly a new movie, and just with how far Mark Ruffalo has come since this. And like, I can't think of something before this that has him in it. Yeah, um, it's very true. Very true. But, yeah, but I uh, loved, uh, Tom Wilkinson is excellent. And uh, I, I liked there's so many subtle things, too, that knowing what I know now and looking at it with the analytical eye that I turned on for this uh, specific episode of, of the sure. show, um, even stuff like when they're calling Joel to the back, he leans forward and puts his hand on her shoulder. And even she like looks at the hand like, oh, my God, he's touching me. Hmm. Um, there's just there's so much there. And I still like I think Tom Wilkinson is an excellent. He's one of those awesome actors that you always love, but like might forget his name. I love how he went from this in 2004 to being um, like Maroney in 2005's Batman Begins. He was like the oh, bad guy God, a year yeah, later. Jesus just Christ. talk about a like complete opposite where he's just like this. Talk about a good of, tangent. Yeah. yeah. Again, he's, he's, he's a great, that. exactly. He's a great actor. He's, his, his roles, he really embodies them each. And I think he did an excellent, I think the casting in this one is particularly excellent of, of almost all of Charlie Kaufman's films. I think this has the most unique 
uh, cast. And I think the casting was was absolutely part of what just made this such a stellar movie that I can continue to rewatch year after year. Yeah, no, no, I absolutely agree. And uh, I may get a, I may get a little flack from people, maybe maybe from you. I um, as much as I like the Joel Clementine dynamic, I was more blown away learning as far as plot and narrative goes. Uh, learning about Mary and Howard. The twist is excellent. So if you guys don't know, um, spoilers, spoilers motherfucker. Pause it or, you know what we say here, tough titties. Um, yeah, so yeah, t- Howard and Mary had a, had a, an affair and she um, submitted, you know, she consented to going through the, uh, the memory. L- Lacuna procedure. I don't know exactly what to call yeah. it. I think the company's called Lacuna Inc., but they don't yeah, call so it anything. The, yeah, they don't call it anything. Small right. quick so the, engine too. The I like memory that. Memory erasure even, procedure, whatever yeah, you want to call even it. Even Joel says like, this isn't real. Like when he first learns about it, even he goes to the office and he goes, this isn't real. And I like that they never insult the premise and try to explain it the way that people have gotten so picky and are like, I need to know how this works. No, there's a fucking memory erasure procedure. Just go with it. <laughs> it's it just, science. It just, it, it's yeah. the premise of the movie. So you have just a need, big, you know, like, metal helmet thing. Yeah, Cerebro. Yeah, Cerebro. We have a Cerebro bro here so uh and even and even he's just like oh it's basically like a night of heavy drinking we just go in and mess with some stuff and it's gone but um yeah i i love that like the whole subplot of him and his affair and how however that uh mark ruffalo and kirsten dunst characters also kind of start like dating or whatever you want to call it how she shows up to uh you know hang out at joel's erasure procedure and then yeah. because of that um, she gets more alone time with Howard and she just like Joel and Clementine again, another parallel as her nature is that she is attracted to Dr. Howard Mearswiak and she makes a move on him again. Yeah, that's I mean, it's saying, you know, I, I feel like that's the biggest take home message that when the love is so what powerful. It yeah, when love is so powerful, it you can literally try now you can try to erase that ex or that uh, that former lover from your mind, but they're yeah, going to come try back. Not to love somebody. Or you're going to go back to them. Yeah, even acknowledging someone's flaws or being angry or upset or whatever it is, um, you know, like when you love somebody, you love somebody. There's nothing you can do about it. And you're going to be drawn to them for whatever like undefinable reason that it is. Exactly. Um, now, I do want to, and th- these are very, very sub, sub, sub supporting kind of characters, but I, I, I kind of had a twinkle in my eye, a little smirk when I saw David Cross. I'm a big I David love that David Cross is in yeah. it. Uh, so Carrie Aiken and Rob Aiken, those are the characters, uh, played by Jane Adams and David Cross, respectively. Uh, so I'm a big, like, I, I love stand-up, and David Cross is one of my favorite stand-ups. Uh, he actually was going to come through my neck of the woods and fucking fucking COVID, they they had to cancel the show. Uh, so I yeah, I had I had signed up to see him live uh, pretty recently, and they had to cancel it not too long ago. Sucks. Uh, another thing I want to touch on before we move on is um, her use of um, quoting things and things yeah. like that. So if you're wondering where Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind comes from, it is a quote. It's a, it's an actual quote from a um, it, a, a title origina- originating from it's the by Pope Alexander. Yeah, the 1717 poem Eloisa to I assume it's like Abelard, not Abelard, like Abelard. Yeah, Eloisa uh, by, to yeah. Abelard by Alexander Pope. Exactly. So so that is a real uh, that's a real poem. She's not just saying that in the film for uh, uh, story context. Uh, she's that's what I love about Charlie Kaufman, too. He pulls a lot from real life and he uses yeah. it even though it's in a fictional way, a la being John Malkovich, something like that. 
um, he likes to play with reality in his surrealism. So uh, that's great. I also I really like that um, she she mentions that line when she first gets to Joel's house when they all like cheers over a drink when she's she says something brief. But then later when she actually she yeah she recites more of that poem. And Is that it's in over... the very first scene set of scenes? It's like, yeah, it's far when earlier they, in the quote movie. unquote are meeting for the first time, something but just like to that. the audience. Yeah, and then yeah, far later in the movie once he really understanding like and 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 going through the process of this uh, erasure thing with Joel, um, there's a really sweet vignette of them just having such a fun time at like a parade. And so that's, I, the, I, I just... Let's talk about the, the vignette. Yeah, the VO. You know, let's yeah, talk about the, the non-linear structure, yeah. non-traditional narrative, and talk about these weird little scenes and vignettes. Yeah. Because I let's it's lead so with what I asked you. Yeah, let's lead with what I asked you in our Kaufman show. Do you think he is under the Cerebro from the very beginning. That's how I feel. Because I feel like now it was written this way and it was written uh, this way purposely. And you learn later because it seems very normal, like, oh, boy meets girl, girl kind of woos boy uh, and things sparks start to fly. But then it just like speeds up like the editing goes starts the to get race. weird. Yeah. And you're giving no explanation to suddenly they're not together anymore. Like it just like complete yeah, 180 just time jump. Exactly. A huge time jump. And then I'm like, wait. And then later in the film, when we're learning about his actual, the actual way they met, because they didn't meet on a train. I'm like, he must be in this fucking Cerebro thing from the very beginning. So while I don't believe that he's in the Cerebro thing, I do think that there are hints that this isn't even like maybe their last time doing it or that they've met more times than we're even like I remember leave. you saying this. That is a fascinating uh, I'm happy to explain theory. on that even more. But yeah, um, no, 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 please, please what give I, it to us. What I like, well, and one other quick thing that that almost Deep helps dives. reinforce this though is that I love that they use the convention of her fucking hair colors to help establish the timeline. I, I don't, yeah, like- use of, use of color theory to tell the story. So that, and that's part of what it. really helps helps me make sure that like, am I keeping track of this correctly? But um, yeah, between the fact that like, you know, like with the thing and like her wrecking his car, uh, the fact that they did actually meet. Like, I on love the beach that, that scene where day. it's like a, it's like a mirror. Like he keeps going to one end. He's like, oh fuck. And he oh, goes to yeah. the other end, and it's the exact same mirror image of the yeah. Other when end. he's starting to get borderline nightmare because he's trying to fight the process, but he's still trapped inside his own brain. But um, yeah. And so it, like, there's there's a few hints throughout that like they don't just do, like meet the two times because technically what it is is that the first time they even went to the river, she actually had the red hair. Well, when they met, she had green hair at the beach and it was kind of growing out. So he then like, they did meet there and then they rekindled and had their first or one of their important like ice, like night picnic dates on the, oh, on the, the master river. sleuther guys. This and, is great. Well, and then another thing at the end though, is again, knowing how important every little scene and detail and angle in these things are, what I couldn't help but notice this, just this last viewing is that in the straight up last 15 seconds, the camera essentially does not move. You can straight up see the exact um, uh, like skyline in the background and it doesn't really change, but it shows them running down the beach multiple times, three hmm. times. So I, like I need to rewatch and it And so again, they're no. like jumping back closer to the camera and they're running down having fun. So the camera is not moving as if like this is the vantage as like just from afar and they do it no less than three times in the last like 15 seconds of the movie as it whites out, as it kind of like fogs or just whatever, like grays out or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think there's a lot of things that like even hint at the fact that I don't know if like technically there's they get the process again uh, a second time or if it's more just that they will keep coming back together. 
it's hard to say, but I, I like I I like my own little personal theory of that that they they this isn't even barely like their second rodeo or that there's like more even more like breakups and like re re like making up kind of stuff like ahead of them. Yeah, I urge <laughs> I urge. Well, now I feel like I need to rewatch it, and now I urge That's everyone cool. to rewatch it <laughs> because yes, there's an extreme attention to detail in the best way possible, not in an annoying. Oh, and way yeah, very time. very necessary for something like this. It's so heavy, but you only have so much runtime on the screen. And um, that I, I I know for a fact, I can't just say uh, maybe, you know, I guess I know for a fact that every time probably even me and Philip watch this and definitely you guys, you're going to find something new. It's oh, one of those absolutely. kind of atten- attentions. There's to st- even stuff about like him hating like alcoholism and um, how like in the scene where he's a baby again and his mom offers the neighbor. She's like, oh, I thought we would have a cocktail. And I'm like, wait, I never put that together that like there's weird parallels maybe even between his mom because like the whole Clementine song, the Oma Darlin' Oma Darlin' song. Right. So there's yeah. there's weird parallels there about like the, the mom saying that and the mom, uh, you know, wanted the neighbor to come over for drinks while she was watching Joel. And then Joel grows up to, of course, he forgets the song because of its association with Clementine, but he forgets that his mom used to sing it to him as well. And that his mom even like one of the few lines of dialogue that she actually has is about having cocktails. And then Joel clearly resents the fact that Clementine drinks more than she than he would like. I wish we I I wish we could show gifts uh, like, you know, on YouTube while we're <laughs> while we're talking, because I would do that like uh, explosion meme. What's yeah, the, 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 the Tim and Eric. Tim uh, and Eric. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, my yeah, God, Eric Wareheim fucking <laughs> right. Yeah, I and again, I've seen this movie. I don't know how many times and I just noticed some bra- some of these brand new like themes and possible motifs just this last time watching it yeah it's um i i really fell in love with that part of the visual language of the of the uh the cinematics um with the strange if anybody if you guys of of my huge following of like 20 people a week Um, uh, if you, if you guys remember, if you, if you've listened to our other shows, I know Philip knows I love surrealism. So when this, when this started to go off the rails and we saw these little l- weird little vignettes and, um, uh, yeah, time jumps and wonderfully flashbacks detailed microcosms and, of relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really, that's when I, I think I, f- I fell in love the most with it. Even if we didn't have a ton, this is, you know, this is. Who said it best? You know, Hitchcock probably said it best. Like, you should be able to watch the film and get most of the story without any actual dialogue being said. And I feel like I could get, once I actually knew the basic premise, you know, you'd still need a little dialogue of them erasing each other from the other person's mind and that were in Joel's mind for most of the movie. And just seeing how, yeah, things are disappearing and people are losing their faces and um, him regressing the titles to of a books, child. Like words around you in the world, like disappearing. You're like, I know we were in the bookstore, but I don't know where. Whereas you might have specifically remembered like, oh, we were in the science fiction section. Like, yeah, the the covers of books disappearing in the background, like all these minutiae of details that are just so important. to, Or all even the-, the lighting, like things get. Oh, you God, know, the, the lighting there's the is spi- amazing. There's like, you know, we have spotlights and lights are, you know, the darkness is is um, getting narrower and narrower and in enveloping our characters, much like the eraser of their their memories you know that so it's 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 constantly what i love about this kind of visual language is it's constantly being a mirror to what's really happening in joel's mind as as the machine the cerebro that we've been calling it the whole show going further and further you're literally jumping through his brain right like he's drastic cuts very specific angles exactly and things i think things really um 
exponentially exacerbate. You know, like things get crazier and crazier because that's what's going on in his mind. He's fighting it so much, and this machine has to fight it even harder to erase him. And you know, things but then just even like yeah, even Mirzwak is like. Uh, they're clearly they've never seen this that no one's ever fought it this hard or something that even he's just like he says something to the extent of like well i'm catching on like i don't know how it's happening but i'm catching on quickly enough and uh i think that's the treat for 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 us the audience the viewer is we get to you know see the the insanity play out of all of these weird things happening and it, it just makes it more enticing honestly like i remember like the weirder it got the more i was falling deeper and deeper in love with it when he started to blend the uh the current imagery and and specifically what it is is it's where they're sitting on a couch like in very casual clothing i believe she's in like a t-shirt and underwear bottoms and he's in like just some pjs or something and um he starts to remember a part of his childhood where he was playing in the rain and then it starts not only does it start raining in the room his kitchen table turns into a version of like the shed that he Mm. like went and caught shelter under to where like the shed is like raw like unpainted outdoor, basically like wood, like a corrugated, uh, some kind of like, just like a fabricated like roof piece. The table is made of that all of a sudden. And he goes and jumps under it in that like weird nostalgia link of him being under a table and feeling like a kid again is literally also when, yeah, I mean, the, it takes like another impressive turn because another thing that scene imply or not necessarily implies, it straight up says, uh, another thing that scene imparts is that you can hide from the machine if you take me, it's literally, it's Clementine, but not a real Clementine. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, it's, it actually almost harkens back to his, his mental most recent... projection or... Well, yeah, his, his projection, which kind that. of reminds me of how in just a quick tangent, but in the other episode where we talked about him, how like the um, main character in um, Thinking of Ending Things has agency, even though she's technically yeah, like, true. a lot of that is like a, a what if scenario of like, what if we'd stayed together? Like, what was it like on that day? Because it's still technically, I, I believe it's from the memory of the of the guy, Jake. But anyways, um, yeah, it's it's her idea that she has to say, take me somewhere that I don't belong so they won't know where to look. And he starts thinking about his childhood and they start when they start doing that extra bit of memory melding, it's not, it's, it's definitely not like the first example of it necessarily, but it's, it's the most obvious and it is a stark like change because again, even Clem comes with and she adapts into the environment and it's so cool. Yeah. uh, Just Jesus tap dancing Christ. Like as, as Philip is explaining it, I'm thinking just to like tie a nice bow on this segment of, you know, writing for the screen, things like that, and seeing and it being so different than other forms of writing being, be it the short story or the novella or the novel or whatever. Remember, as a screenplay, the writer has to put in stage direction. So can you imagine the sheer level oh, of God. goddamn stage direction? Like things the ratio like, is you know, probably like 10 to 1. Yeah, just like, you know, there's a bunch of dialogue. It's not worse. And then, you know, it'll say something like, Joel's walking down the street, but each end becomes a mirror of the other. And a subsequent Yeah, Joel walks end. up to the person and turns them around, and each time he flips them around, Joel it's still the back of the head. As a kid, hiding under the table, but still looks like his adult self. You know, like, so often, here's the thing is, uh, guys, also is, you know, sometimes it'll be kind of vague, and then it's up to to the director to figure out how they want to visually uh, explain that to the audience. Like, a, a perfect example of that is think of your favorite fucking kung fu movie or thriller action film, and there may be a scene where a protagonist and an antagonist are in the same room, and literally the, the stage direction will be like, and they fight or something like that. Now, it's up to the director to figure out 
how they want to, do they want to make it an epic fight? Just a, you know, bare knuckle boxing kind of brawl fight? You know, how do they want to show it to the audience? That's where the director comes in, right? And they, that's where the art of, of direction comes in and they get to really flex their muscles uh, with um, their artistic qualitative you know, uh, skills in this, in this set. But I, I think, you know, I wish I could, I really need to dig this up. I bet, I bet a lot of knowing Charlie Kaufman's work and how extremely detailed he is. I bet he put a lot of these in there and gave Gondry exactly the amount of notes he needed to really bring it to life. Yeah. I think since it was, it was originally again, Gondry and his, his friend, one of the, uh, basically like a co-writer of it, it was originally their idea and then Charlie mm. Kaufman was also still coming up uh, and writing and had just made his big splash in 1999, a year after the Gondry. And again, I think it's like Buisson or something. Um, the One of the writers had their idea, but they sat on it. Kaufman and Gondry worked together on human nature. And I'm, I would bet my bottom dollar that that is, of course, when they started to realize like, oh, yeah, we need to work together more. And then like, oh, by the way, your writing's kind of surreal. You know, I've always wanted to do something very dreamlike. And then that he just let Michelle Gondry go nuts. And yeah, I mean, I think he was just teeing him up. Like a perfect I think, marriage. I, exactly. Yeah. I think he was just teeing up Michelle Gondry to be like, I know you're going to crush it. I'm going to put a certain amount of direction on. And then I know that you will do exactly what I'm hoping to see like on film because but still, you know, yeah, the rest of Gondry's gets... stuff is still very again, surrealist and dreamlike, like science of sleep and stuff. Right. He still gets to flex that, uh, you know, directorial, you know, skill and muscle because as much as, you know, someone like Charlie Kaufman is going to try to put, you know, some of that on the page, it's never going to purely be able to no. absolutely 100% adapt it. So it's up to the director to be like, okay, how am I going to show this to the audience that they're going and get it and and also be you know entertaining and visually a visual splendor and all of those things yeah and so that's where they that's where like that perfect marriage between writer and director comes from yeah and it was which again it's, it's got to be why this was is probably arguably kaufman's most notable work uh, absolutely i think that i think um this is arguable, but I feel like this is a bit of an apex for his career. I think this I, is some I, of his yeah, best work. I, I don't mean that in any kind of unkind way, because um, obviously we no, just thought on him. All the stars, writer, but all the stars. Yeah, everything again between the cast, him getting Gondry as the director, clearly having the right kind of like set design people. Um, just oh just yeah, every, yeah. Like I can't imagine being involved in this and getting to see the finished product of just. I would probably shit. Uh, oh my just god! Guarantee you, I'd I make could... a whole brick house out of shit. Uh, it, it, <laughs> I would I would never stop losing my mind if I was a part of the staff or crew or whatever getting to make this and this is what wound up like being the cut like holy crap I mean, yeah you should please claim that as an achievement in your life yeah I I read that it was it was challenging it was very challenging for for everyone a lot of trust probably was very necessary just like no trust me we're gonna do all kinds of crazy stuff with other tricks of the light and the editing this is gonna go here uh you know this has a place and yeah I'm sure there was so much trust <laughs> and I'm sure it was very difficult to get through some of these like set days oh I couldn't set. even imagine but before we get there i do want to touch on what helped to make some of these dreamlike imagery dreamlike and that is the editing yeah the editing was done by icelandic editor validus and i'm gonna butcher this last name so i'm just gonna call them it's just oscar's daughter it's literally just Damn. daughter of oscar oscar's daughter okay well um our um resident linguist and silver tongue and wordsmith did it for us thank you sir uh but yeah um you know part of you know it doesn't stand alone you know often the quote is that real filmmaking is uh the heart and soul is the editing 
Yeah. yeah, in post. And this is a perfect example of, you know, think about all those times when like we did a quick cut from him like falling onto a couch, but then he fell into, you know, like he was laying down. Or yeah, she was she was smothering that him snowy field or something. Yeah, exactly. Whether it was a drastic scene change or a really subtle effect. Yeah, there were so many things. There's so many editing tricks in this film that not only needed to happen, you know, to make it work, you know, but also I, I, I don't know. I don't know enough of the history here, but I'm at, I almost feel like they probably had to innovate some some techniques, some ideas to make it how things flowed and moved and mixed together was. And you know, that was seamless also with the music and other things like that. And obviously that still comes down. The, the foundation is still the writing because it was probably written that way. But the editing was uh, superb. You know, we it's we take it for granted right because it's that invisible special effect as the editing this one is just uh it's just a master class in editing period <laughs> i mean yeah all right I'm, all right see you later i'm done all right all right guys bye all right cool and so uh for the rest of the episode it's gonna be q a guys by the way um, <laughs> just gonna be philip yeah just go ahead and uh tweet me get at me uh we'll answer your questions about the movie um no yeah the uh, yeah there's so much to be said for um Again, all the drastic cuts. Again, again, especially just to get how again, like that's how things can feel. Whether you're talking about something like a relationship and realizing, like, wow, I've spent two years of my life, and you might feel like you literally just turned around and this thing was different. Or again, in a dream, when you're talking about like going through like your own brain, your memories, and your dreams, and how you're like, oh, I remember this, and then I remember that, but I don't remember what happened in between. I mean, it's literally like it's as if this guy just sat down. Well, I, actually, I don't know the basis of Icelandic names, so Valdis could have been a woman. Um, they sat down. And essentially just, just kind of figured out like, what are the, like, how is it that you would describe a story? Like listening to people tell stories and figuring out which parts of it were specifically about memory and storytelling and doing everything he could to recreate that, but with actual pieces of film footage. And of course, even just the editing, you'd still have to wonder too, it's like, well, he's got to have the finished product because there are so many different things that some of them were a little less practical, like in camera. Uh, and then right. some of the other things were, like obviously done with special effects of just like, you know, they didn't, they obviously didn't have like a store full of magical disappearing books. They just like erased, <laughs> erased the book covers and the, the section names and certain things. I was very, uh, I think we can go ahead and uh, touch on special effects then since we're on the subject, because I was very, very happy. I'm a sucker for practical. I mean, I love a good practical is, is better. Yeah. I love CGI. CG, I love CG when it's done to suit the story and not just be, you know, fucking eye candy for eye it's candy. It's not the actual lead sake. character. And um, I learned that there was a lot of, a lot of practical. What they would yeah, do Gondry is- Yeah, uh, Gondry's very into practical stuff, as wild as his imagination is. Um, yeah, it was often in camera, um, forced perspectives, hidden space, spotlighting, unsynchronized sound effects, split focus, and what's known as continuity editing. So that can all be done without- you know, CGI manipulating what's seen on screen. We do it through. Yeah, um, just even between, you know, the focus, the focus, uh, whatever, like the the camera, the lens was focusing on, especially with just the pairing of some of the just really stark lighting. I, I mean, again, oh, the that, lighting. So cinematographer uh, Ellen Cures. I also read that she had a hard time. It was, it was a very challenging shoot and that she would actually hide bulbs and whatever whatever to make it a little brighter and i i feel like when i look back at the film it is lit a little bright you know it is there is there's elements until until there's like those like dark you know they're like yeah i would assume that was little flashlight scenes yeah i feel like that's to balance out how it feels on those other scenes to make them especially like anxiety like 
inducing or thrilling exactly. or whatever you want to call it amp up the the contrast but literally and, and metaphorically <laughs> but yeah I mean, it really did come together you know between all of these elements that um yeah we have to take for granted when it's not just the centerpiece between editing cinematography and these more practical special effects especially like you know i it's such such a simple thing between forced perspective it always makes me think of the fucking lord of the rings when we had hobbits and like or yeah you know dwarves and stuff and a lot a lot of people thought was they just shrunk them in post with cgi and no they would just use forced perspective stuff to make them seem smaller as compared to the other characters that are just like placed in the foreground and things like that yeah or, if you want if you do want a sillier example of forced perspective think about how every human who ever goes to italy goes to the, the tower of pisa and makes it look like they're holding it they're up holding it the up, large yeah. thing in the background the smaller thing in the foreground and everything looks like it's roughly the same size boom there you go force perspective and the glue that that holds every film together of course is the music uh this was done by john bryan and uh um, also not the first rodeo with actually no, i'm sorry this one might have been the first rodeo with kaufman and they continue to work together on other films as well um i i think it was it was subtle but um tasteful you know i don't i don't think anybody's gonna see the film and be like oh i need to get the soundtrack to listen to this you know or something like true, that true but i still it still stands out very clearly in my mind about how the creepy sound, parts sound creepy like the really sweet parts are sweet like the poignant and like the tense things are tense like he is he's masterful with with capturing specific mood especially in in terms of how it relates to like being in the moment and again like how uh you know how these moments actually kind of feel in your mind um, he, he, I, well, I will say this to give you a little olive branch there is I think if people are going to feel that way when they're maybe a little more on my side of the tracks, it will be with Beck's vocal because the film oh, yeah. both opens and closes with Beck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah. And, um, do you remember the, uh, do you remember the song they cover? No. <laughs> it is. It is called Everybody's Gotta Learn Sometime by the Corgis. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. And Once you said uh, that part is like, that's exactly everybody's gotta learn. Everybody's gotta learn sometime. Yeah, he's got that that great little. Okay, Almost like channeling voice. like a Nick Cave or something in that one, just getting kind of like. But uh, I'm a big fan of Beck, uh, and I yeah. particularly like his, um, his uh, how should we put it, acoustic folk country type of sounds as much as i love me some e-pro and shit like that um i will take sea change and morning phase any day and that's essentially what we get in this cover uh and it is it's now this isn't done much either you know we have to talk we always like to talk about that in our shows it's like this isn't fucking done much it's really not to both open a film and close it with the exact same song you know and i think that sandwiches the piece in a fascinating way just then again just to add a little bit to the surrealism but it it really it really kind of ties it all together uh so let's uh let's bring it on home let's tie a b on this on this bitch on this b and uh <laughs> what did i say type bitch on this b yeah no. i have know. bow on this bitch there we go i don't know it's making me think about a it's always sunny scene i don't know if you know the one where he's like oh it's like don't like f you guys in the a like don't forget to wear wear <laughs> scene jail over your bees oh i love it's always sunny oh yeah oh yeah i remember that that's charlie that's, that's charlie. charlie charlie's my favorite um oh yeah he's everyone's favorite 
Yeah, I, I I feel like without being told to just shut up that I would talk about this movie way too much. No, there's, no, no, there's no, 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 so no. much to dissect. Give it to us. Well, Give I mean, honestly, just yeah, I mean, from top to bottom, Lose like out your passion, if, bleed if, it out. If you've ever audio. like really wondered about how important all these other roles could be, like, wow, there's some long credits for so many people in this movie. Yeah, this is fucking why. Look at how masterfully made this whole film is from top to bottom. When you've got just every single person like seemingly aligned, like talk about synergy. Gosh, like, you know, even from the cast, from the actors, you know, like Jim Carrey clearly being like, you guys, I'm I'm not just a slapstick goofball. Like I am an actor, too. Uh, Kate Winslet is, again, was just the perfect choice because she's also just excellent. They wanted Bjork originally. Did you know that? No shit. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, they wanted I'm so Bjork glad they didn't get Bjork. She read, she read the script, and she said she would have been too, like, negatively affected by her performance. Like, she would have gotten too into it, and then it would have affected her too too negatively. So she's... All she for the passed. better. That's fine. Give it to my girl, yeah. Kate. Kate was excellent. Um, Yeah, I mean, just just clearly this, this was given to us by the theater gods of just being like (laughs) humankind needs this like i don't know what the hell happened what kind of universal karma was going on back in 2004 but uh mankind deserved this movie this is just easily in my i'm still basically struggling to to with myself of is this in my top five or just my top 10 but this is again what's one of my favorite movies of of all time because well i did this with ryan once what's number one i could tell you again i i I don't even know i just think it varies from like week what's what is it right now then i don't know okay oh okay well i'd have to i've seen seen too many damn movies but when we do another uh we'll do another film episode and he'll 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 do some soul searching i will let us know okay i'll find some peyote it'll be great um <laughs> yeah, I, I just really, I almost couldn't speak of this movie more highly. And it is another one of those films that it's better when you don't know what the hell you're getting into because words undercut it. It undersell. Mm. There's, you cannot describe to someone else in words. Hence, somebody put words on a piece of paper, gave it to somebody who works with cameras, and then also gave it to somebody who like edits camera footage, and then somebody else who makes music. And then somewhere along the way, we got this wonderful piece of art. Um, you you couldn't describe this to somebody else very well without just being you. This is one of those just watch it movie um, to where when you walked into the theater, you may have even thought you knew what you were getting. I don't even remember what the trailers were like for this one back in the, back in the day. Um, I just remember all I remember. I remember is the them like scene. running through the the bookstore, the video store, or whatever. It yeah, was. That, that's, her, like, I'm sure that's what it was. Um, like Joel pulling her a lot in yeah. the trailers. But um, there's just no way uh to to explain it because again, e- even with like the weird subplot of like the things that are in the current and and now, like the real the real real world time plot of again how like a uh, Patrick uh baby boy Elijah Woods character is trying to like <laughs> seduce uh and or woo or whatever uh the main character and uh along with while Joel is running through his memories of all of his time with Clementine, there's almost like two plots about her at the same time. Um, just all, all the things just line up so damn well. Again, like the importance of the, the other subplot uh, or like the, the secondary romance of, of Howard, uh, Dr. Mirzwiak and, and Kate, or is it Kate, right? I forget. what the It's name. Mary. Mary, neat. Uh, Mary, Kate. Yeah, okay, fine. Uh, Kate Winslet, I think you were thinking. Yeah, there you go. That's why I said Kate. It wasn't because the Olsen twins at all. But yeah. So it, he secretly is in love with the they, Olsen They're great, twin. you know. Um, <laughs> they're uh, big fans of the show. Guys, if you're listening. They love it, yeah. Mary Kate, Ashley, this is for y'all. Love a call. I, I know, yeah. Please text me back. Um, 
It's been, it's been so long. I, I, we have some ideas for your fashion line. So <laughs> so does Alexandra and the rest of the NDB family. Yeah, especially we, especially we, Ali. We want to talk. Um, we want to we want to have a little uh, interview with you. Tunde, I still love you the most. <laughs> oh yeah, Tunde. Tunde, you know you know now. he's a big fan. He, he's into yeah. it. He loves us. Um, but yeah, there there there's so much that I could just like I said I could go on and on and on. Um, but at this point, I'll just kind of shut up and just say uh, there's nothing that we can say. Uh, you either have seen it or you haven't. And regardless, um, we we really do just couldn't couldn't more strongly urge you to go see uh, what is what was I mean, even just critically acclaimed as one of the best movies of the 2000s. Uh, and again, it's it's in some of my top. I, I know too many people who will just say like this is one of their favorite movies because there's nothing like it. There you have it. Couldn't have said it better myself. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind from top to bottom. Esot Esam. Esot Esam. Esot Esam. Go see it, guys. If you if you haven't done yourself, I like to say it this way do yourself an artistic favor and uh you know take take the take friday night it's off it's self-care it's that get good. a little this is get a little get a little popcorn get 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 whatever you like maybe it's m&m's maybe uh, get it's a mega pint of wine maybe um but let's be let's be uh let's be honest milk duds are poison and um, poison but that's why they're so tasty <laughs> do you like milk duds? I have the most disgusting sweet tooth. Oh man! Well, my my wife likes milk duds, and I hate them with the fiery passion. Obviously, so I make fun of her all of the time for like because. So you are the only two people in the entire. Did you know that you're the only two people in the entire world that like milk duds? I am keeping the Twizzlers company afloat. (laughs) No, I like Twizzlers. I'll I'll okay. Good. Well, then you're like you and I are the only people that I know. Yeah, that's true. Or red vines. I feel like red vines are the only people like that. Oh, this is probably the best tangent of the whole show right here. Right, just talking about candy. Surprise new episode. Guys, tweet at us your favorite candy. Get at us. Let- <laughs> Get at us, candy. <laughs> Until Twitter. next time, we just have to say thank you. Thank you for listening. And I want to thank, of course, my guest, Mr. Philip Church. Uh-huh, thank you. But before we go, you know, we got a little extra for you a little icing on the cake, mm. a little cherry on top with what we I'm call my hands together. Gem of the week. Yes, like Mr. Burns, right? So, uh, guys, if you don't know, guys, if you don't know what the gym of the week is, you don't know. Let me explain. Okay, that's it's something we like to do here at the end of our shows. That doesn't always fit into the scheme of the episode, but you know, it's maybe on our radar in the last day, last week, maybe last month. So we got to give it to you, so you guys can dig deeper. Now, before we do that, of course, we got to talk about their sponsor. Today's gems are brought to you by ZenCaster. ZenCaster is our go-to tool for remote podcast recordings. What's great is that you can record a separate audio and video tracks, and it's all backed up on a secured cloud, so you never lose your hard work. Even better, it's easy to use, and there's nothing to download. So go to zen.ai. That's zen.ai/slash art of the beholder, or just use promo code art of the beholder and get thirty percent off your first three months with the pro account. Now back to the gyms. My gyms is, is going to be short and sweet today because you know this and the Charlie actual Charlie Kaufman episode is going to be cyclical. So uh, guys, you may be listening to this before the Charlie Kaufman episode. That's fine. You do you. We like you still. It's okay. It's right. So if you this have movie's all out of order, it's cool. Yeah, exactly. Just like this episode. That's right. So if you um haven't seen or haven't heard that episode, just do yourself another artistic favor and get into his work. Uh, see all of his filmography, or uh, you can do the stuff that he's just written and other people have directed, much like this film. And I guarantee you're going to fall in love with the new artist. He's that good. So guys, Charlie Kaufman. His filmography.
Philip, what do you got for us? The show Primal. Have you heard? Primal. I have. I have not gotten into it, though, however. So, yeah, it uh, it only had one season so far, but it did get renewed for a second. And uh, does the name Gendy Tartakovsky mean much to you or to other people? I sure hope so. Uh, it's the person behind both <laughs> Dexter's Laboratory as well as Samurai Jack. And, okay. Um, it's like Adult Swim. Exactly. School, yeah, this is on Adult animated. Swim. And it's very, it's basically, it's a silent cartoon, if you will, to an extent. Um, mm. The main character is literally like a caveman. And uh, it's it it actually does bother explaining how he winds up, like, quote unquote, teaming up with like a dinosaur, like a T-Rex or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's basically like the pilot, like the first episode. But uh, <laughs> it's it's brutal. It's awesome. And I love the fact that uh, the main character is because it's a caveman, his his main tool or weapon is a spear. So his name is Spear in the credits. Like there's a, uh, there is a guy course. who screams <laughs> as the caveman. So his name is just he goes by Spear. And then the dinosaurs, of course, their name is Fang. Um, okay. But so it's literally just about Spear and Fang and them just having to fucking survive nice. in like the whatever, like Mesozoic era, whatever the hell. Again, obviously, I don't know that there was that much overlap with any kind of caveman and dinosaur, but I, I it's so good at storytelling because um, actually almost hearkening back to what you said earlier about Hitchcock's quote, um, there's no dialogue. No dialogue is mm. required, but this shit will actually wring your emotions and just flap them up to dry. Like there's stuff, there's so much stuff about like loss, suffering. Um, it's palpable. It is excellent oh, wow. shit. Uh, so I, I actually wound up really liking it. I, I don't, I, I didn't like have it too high up on my radar until again, like trusted sources were like, yo, like this is really no joke. Do you have any way to watch this? I do happen to have HBO because HBO has all of Adult Swim stuff. Um, so yeah, the entire first season that that is out is uh, available uh, through HBO, and it's it's dope. It's so good. Okay, Again, stories cool. without words. Um, it's literally about a caveman and his like dino friend. <laughs> Just fucking do it. I have a surprise gem because, uh, so full disclosure again, guys, I was joking with Philip before the show in our pre-show uh, interview about the fact that I, uh, I was having a hard time thinking of gems for we'll this We'll do week, it live. But, but uh, yeah, just like, what was that Bill O'Reilly <laughs> fucking skit? Oh, God. What's no, that God. mean? We're we'll doing do it live. It. We're doing it live. So um, so we're doing it live, and uh, this literally, like, while we were talking about this, sh uh, this stuff, I thought of one. It just popped in my head. Um, I just beat a new game on Nintendo Ooh. Switch called uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You got Shredder's, Shredder's Revenge. Shredder's Revenge. Yeah. How was it? So I, I bought that. I bought that B. B in the B. B in the D. Uh, <laughs> I, bought, <laughs> I bought that. I bought that B. Um few weeks ago it was excellent if you grew up um our generation me and phillips and a lot of the ndp family we grew up in the 90s so we grew up with beat-em-ups you know um, oh yeah streets of rage games beat-em-ups in the arcade you know x-men teenage mutant ninja turtles um god the list is uh, probably the the most famous one that was only i think on the market for just a little bit was um alien vs predator remember that beat-em-up oh yeah uh where you played the predator that was that's like gold beat-em-up but or capcom kind capcom of a deep a lot cut of too yeah, Capcom did a lot of good beat em ups. But anyways, um, I grew up with uh, a loving beat em ups, and uh, spe specifically, particularly loving uh, Turtles in Time. And uh, I what played that religiously. Show? Yeah, I played that religiously on the Super NES. And this is uh, the closest thing to a spiritual successor that we have. They they really, I think they really combined all of the great things about all of the other you know kinds of beat em up. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle games that we had available, kind of like the arcade version on the Nintendo, and the act, the literal cabinet arcade version of that of that same game. 
Um, and they they really brought it together in a, in a beautiful package. So guys, if you haven't checked it out, if you're into that kind of stuff, I guarantee you'll probably fall in love. And it's, it's real quick. You know, beat em ups are fast since it's not it's not a fucking arcade cabinet that's trying to suck quarters out of your life savings. So uh, you're going to die a lot and you just keep you just keep hitting start. You got a million lives, right? So go get Shredder, guys. That's all I got to say about that. Um, So guys, any metal ass. That's right. So if you like that, you can, of course, check out all all of our stuff at uh, underscore Novo underscore day and days de and at Novo Day Media. You can check out some of our products at NovoDayProductions.com. There you'll find things like, as already stated, the entropy sessions, adulteration, post-meridium, Cancel Culture Lotto. Of course, you'll see ads for this show and uh, more links to find more fun episodes and listen to me and Philip rant and rant and rant about the things we love in art. Um, so don't forget to like and subscribe and follow and do all the fucking things. You know what to do, rate and review, all that shit. And if you'd like to sponsor our little love child here, you can reach uh, out to us at novadaymedia at gmail.com. Now, if you want to get that silver tongue, man, I've been talking about that a lot during the show, that silver tongue, that wordsmith. <laughs> if you want to uh, want any uh, narration skills of Mr. Philip Church. Philip, how do they get a hold of you? Yes, I'm available at my website, philipchurch.tech. Uh, Philip does have one L. Uh, I guess that's important Philip to know. One L. I always don't, forget. Well, because half of my audiobooks are attributed to I'll Philip with one you. L. The other half is <laughs> two L's. So if you did try to look me up on Audible, I'm under two different pages thanks to that that's little typo. evil twin. And he's yeah. got a mustache. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, audiobook narration, uh, you know, commercial uh, demo is up there too. Um, I'm I'm versatile and fun to work with, so I'm told. So um, yeah, Philip Church. Yes, not I, can, I can vouch. Yes. He Philip keeps Church. inviting me back. That says something, right? <laughs> That's right. PhilipChurch.tech, guys, is where you can reach him, and you can get all of his services. You will not be disappointed. So thank you so much for listening, and until next time, be good to each other. And as always, good luck and Godspeed. We love you. Art of the Beholder is brought to you by Novo Day Productions, created and hosted by Novo Day and the Novo Day Collective, facebook.com slash Media at Novo Day Media on Twitter and Instagram. Music by A Company, facebook.com slash music 123 ACO on Spotify. Logo designed by Tom Justice, J-E-S-T-U-S, of thejusticecompany.com, and executively produced by Clayton Anderson. All rights reserved. We'll do it live!